met you before. My name's Graham. Uh, I work as a local GP, uh, which is a real privilege uh, to be available to serve people uh, in the big things and the small things. Uh, but every one of us has that type of privilege, don't we? Uh, whether it's working to build a family, whether it's working, contributing to, to society in some way, we have opportunities to serve people. It's a real privilege. Uh, as Sam mentioned, uh, we have a new series starting today and we'll be looking at, uh, in some ways, a highlights package of the Old Testament. We'll be looking at all these key passages where the Lord draws near to people. And in some ways, these are the big people of the Bible, and so they're different to us. But in other ways, they are like us because they've been made by the Lord and they're broken and they need him. So just as a bit of an intro, I'll give you a little uh, taster of what's to come. Today we'll be looking at Adam and Eve and the theme of purpose from Genesis 2. Then we'll skip forward thousands and thousands of years to Abraham and learn of what he saw of the Lord in Genesis 12 with the theme of promise. We'll spend a couple of weeks in Exodus, Exodus 3, where Moses learns about the presence of the Lord, and Exodus 34, where Moses sees more of the personality of the Lord and what he is like. We'll take some time with David in 1 Chronicles 17, and we'll learn about a word, posterity, about the future, the legacy of what is to come through the son of David. And then in 1 Kings 19, we'll see Elijah in the depths of depression and despair. What does the Lord do when he comes near us in that sort of state? And then we'll finish with Isaiah, where he's face to face with the Lord who is high and lifted up and we'll explore the theme of purity. In the midst of that, between weeks five and six, we'll have two outreach services and in the wisdom and providence of the Lord, we will hear some stories of Jesus, people encountering him, the Lord in the flesh. As Sam mentioned, we'll also take some time during the service to hear from a brother or a sister who spent time with the Lord in a particular psalm that will connect in some way to the theme. I hope that over these couple of months, you and I will meet the Lord afresh, that will take some time during the week to draw near to him because he delights in that. How will we know if it's been a success? Well, we'll love the Lord more. We'll love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Imagine what would happen if this group of people drew near to the Lord every day and he revealed himself to us. Imagine what would happen in us and through us. Let me pray and then we'll get started with this week. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. And we thank you that in your word you reveal yourself. 
We pray that as we dedicate some time to look at these highlights, that you will reveal yourself in such a way that we'll be encouraged and transformed and inspired to live for your glory. Amen. Jasmine's going to come up and she'll be reading from Genesis 1. So if the Bible is new to you, it's a library of 66 books. This reading comes from the first chapter of the first book. So if you'd like to open up to Genesis 1, and Jasmine will read a couple of verses from there, and then the bulk of it will be Genesis chapter 2. Good morning. So we'll be starting from chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now we'll jump forward to chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into, separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. Its winds, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, there where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onks are also there. The name of the second river is Gishon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asia. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Who loves a good origin story? Now, I imagine we've got some fans of the Marvel Universe here this morning. Uh, one reason why the Marvel movies have been so successful is because they've developed this genre of origin stories. Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and the Hulk. We get curious about these superheroes. How did they become who they are? Origin stories tell us about the past in order for us to make sense of the now. And this is true of the Marvel Universe, and it's also true of the universe that you and I live in. Now today, we'll consider the ultimate origin story, the origin of all origin stories. We'll go back to the very beginning when the Lord made the first two human beings. These stories are thousands of years old, and yet they contain wisdom that speak to every human culture. All of the essentials are here in the early chapters of Genesis. Friendship and family and farming and even physics. Marriage and work and identity and purpose. If you want to make a sense of your life, this is where you'll find the wisdom. The first words of the Bible are these. In the beginning, God. God was there before our origin story even began. And then simply by speaking, he brings light to the darkness and order to the chaos. He could have done it in an instant, but he was happy in Genesis 1 to slow down the process allowing it to unfold so that we can see the life-giving intentionality to his work. And at each stage of the process, he pauses and he looks and he proclaims that it is good. The process reaches a climax on the sixth day. In verse 26, it says, Let us make mankind in our own image. There is a coming together of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a discussion, a consensus, and then a next-level creation. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the whole of Genesis 1, verse 27 stands out to me as the highlights. So much is contained in these 13 Hebrew words. It feels like they're bursting with meaning. 
to be unpacked and explored. I want you to imagine that you have your laptop in front of you and you've just read an online version of Genesis 1. And as you scan across the words, you notice that verse 27 is underlined and in bold. And as you hover your mouse over it, you realize there's a link. And as you click on it, a whole new page opens up, which reveals chapter 2. It's like a DRS review at the crickets. Here is one key moment, and then it's slowed down so that we can see all of the detail. Chapter 2 unpacks this key verse about our origin story. It's as though the author of Genesis in chapter 1 shows us the big picture so that in chapter 2 we can zoom in to the real story, this intimate relational account of the beginnings of the human race. Now, you may have noticed a subtle change in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Here is the personal covenant name of the Lord. In chapter 1, it is God, Elohim, who is speaking and creating and even resting. But in chapter 2, we have the Lord God as the central character. These four English letters, L-O-R-D in small caps, is the translator's signal that we're speaking of Yahweh, Jehovah, the personal covenant name of God. Now we'll explore that name in a couple of weeks' time when we look at Exodus 3. But for today, let's notice this. The events of Genesis 2 are intimate, personal, relational, covenantal. We are seeing the Lord at work up close and personally involved with the human beings he loves so dearly. So with this background in mind, this is our plan for the morning. We'll take a slow walk through Genesis 2 and we'll take note of five things as the story unfolds. And then we'll take a step back and reflect on this question. What have we seen of the Lord and of ourselves and how should we respond? So firstly, the Lord prepares a place. We're given a wonderful description of this garden. All kinds of trees, beautiful to the eye and luscious to the taste. There's a life-giving river that waters the entire garden and then overflows as four rivers into nearby lands. This is fertile country, rich for farming and rich in mineral resources. The Lord has prepared a place of abundance and generosity, full and fertile and ready for human life. Now you'll notice real geographical places are mentioned. Havilah, Cush, Ashur, places familiar to the original readers. This is no empty myth. This is a story that is history taking place on this earth on which we live today. 
And yet we also see in verse 5 that shrubs and plants had not yet grown. Do you see our creator's desire for partnership with us? He will provide the life-giving resources of light and water. And yet he desires to work with, uh, to work in relationship with humanity, to work in us and work through us to achieve his life-giving purposes for his creation. Number two, the Lord forms the man. He takes raw material and out of it he forms a male body. The Hebrew wordplay here is fascinating. The Lord takes Adamah and he forms Adam. He takes earth and forms earthy. And then the real miracle happens. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam becomes a living being. No other creature in all of creation received this divine CPR and a unique link to the true and living God. This was the breath of life direct from the life-giving creator. Can you imagine for a moment Adam's next conscious thoughts? A fully grown man waking from sleep, opening his eyes and looking for the first time at this wonderful world, abundant with life and beauty and not yet damaged by sin. And then his creator takes him on a tour through his creation. You could imagine Adam running and jumping and testing out the physical capacities of the body that he'd been given. Drinking cool, refreshing water and eating rich, luscious fruit from the trees. And you can imagine the joy of the Lord in seeing the delight of Adam experiencing the wonder and goodness of this Garden of Eden. The Lord provides the way of life. After that initial joy of exploration, the Lord says, Adam, I've got a job for you. I want you to be responsible for this creation, responsible for this land, to work it and take care of it and to produce life and beauty and order from its abundant resources. What a privilege for Adam to receive this word, the blessing and honor of productive, life-giving work, of partnering with the Lord in his ongoing creative purposes. They continue to speak. In this world that I have made, Adam, you are to listen to my word. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that one, you will certainly die. Adam had no awareness of death. What is this word die? I have no knowledge of this. What innocent childlike trust 
in those early days. Notice how the commands of the Lord overflow from his abundant goodness. Adam, I'm the life giver, and I've blessed you with life. Remember, true life is to trust and obey my word. It's that simple and that easy. As you trust and obey, you'll have great joy and satisfaction and purpose. All of my ways are good. So verse 18 comes as a surprise. It describes the one thing that is not good in the whole of creation, the aloneness of the man. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I must make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19 to 20 add emphasis to this. One of Adam's first responsibilities was to name all the creatures. Can you imagine how much fun that would have been? Hmm, I think I'll call this one a hippopotamus. And this one a budgerigar. How much fun that would have been for Adam. And yet still, after seeing all of these creatures... No suitable helper for Adam was found. In all this good world, there was no creature able to fill this deep void in this man's soul. And so the Lord puts Adam to sleep. And in verse 22, he made a woman from the rib that he'd taken out of the man, and then he brought her to him. Adam has a second wake-up experience, opening his eyes and exclaiming with wonder and astonishment and joy, Whoa, man, I have seen all of the other creatures, but I have not seen one like this. Here is one that is like me and yet different to me, a perfect match, one that is strong where I am weak, and weak where I can be strong. How kind and generous of our Creator to bring us together like this. One commentator described the rib origin of Eve with these words, not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal to him, and near his heart, to be beloved by him. Sounds incredibly modern, doesn't it? But these words were written more than 300 years ago by Matthew Henry, a humble English pastor who read this particular chapter and saw the beauty of man and woman serving together as one. The equality of man and woman is not a new idea from the 1960s. It's an ancient truth embedded in our origin story and precious to our creator. And so the Lord blesses human life. We come to the first ever wedding ceremony. The Lord, the proud father, bringing the young ones together. And the Lord, 
the priest and pastor, blessing the union of the two. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, they were both naked and they felt no shame. It's a wonderful picture of intimacy and romance, friendship and partnership. A husband and wife, naked, unmasked, authentically known to the other and with no experience of shame. Together they were to live out the purpose of their creator, to work the garden and take care of it, to be fruitful, make some babies and grow families, to be responsible over the creation, stewarding its resources, promoting life and flourishing for generations to come. What a wonderful origin story for humanity. Here we discover identity and friendship, purpose and joy as the man and the woman take their God-given place in this God-blessed world and begin God-honoring lives. Now we know, sadly, that after Genesis 2 came Genesis 3. Despite the abundant goodness and generosity of the Lord, Adam and Eve took their eyes off him and listened to a different voice and chose a different path. Genesis 3, in the impact of human selfishness and sinfulness, is also a part of our origin story and part of the explanation for why our world is as it is today. But for this morning, we are pausing. We are lingering in the garden, breathing the fresh, pure air of this first part of our origin story. Despite the brokenness of our world, if we listen carefully, we will hear echoes of Eden. We will remember who we are, and what we are here for. So let's take a moment and consider, take a step back. What have we seen of the Lord and ourselves and how should we respond? Three things to notice. Creator and creature. Psalm 33 verse eight and nine. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord spoke this world into being and the Lord breathed life into Adam's dusty body. Our world had a beginning. The human race had a beginning. You and I had a beginning. It's our creator who gives us life, our creator who gives us identity, our creator who gives us purpose. He is the life giver and we with open hands receive. Now what I've just said is a countercultural idea in our day and age. We live in a society that wants us to believe that our identity is to be self-defined, to be discovered from within. 
But Genesis 1 and 2 tell a very different story. Take a moment to consider your body. When you look at it in the mirror, you may wish it was different. Perhaps taller or shorter or browner or whiter or slimmer or fatter or stronger or younger. But take to heart this revolutionary idea. Your particular body, with its maleness or femaleness, your temperaments and the experiences of your life, all of these aspects of who you are, are loving gifts from your heavenly Father. God's word to you and I today is this. You are no accident. You are intended and you are loved by the Lord. He shaped you and formed you so that he could have relationship with you. We are to grow into the fullness of who we are by seeking our creator and listening to his voice. Number two, what else do we see? We see community. Even in these chapters, we see a glimpse of the relationality of the Lord. Chapter 126 says, let us make humanity in our own image. The rest of the Bible reveals the Lord as one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune personhood of God is a mystery too great for us to understand, but it moves us to worship. One sadness of the Allah of Islam is his aloneness. There is no trinity in the Quran, no personhood within a Muslim's God, and therefore no awareness of love in the Allah of Islam. But here in the opening chapters of the Bible, we see the relationality of the Lord. And we discover that humanity, in some beautiful way, is to reflect the eternal triune God of love. The Lord is communal, and so are we. For we are made in his image as male and female. The male-female design of the human race is intentional. The two-ness of humanity is to reflect something of the threeness of the Lord. This is why the biblical revelation of two genders is so key to human life. The equality and distinctives and synergy of the two genders is critical not only for human flourishing, for it's not good for us to be alone, but also to display and image the glory of God. Elevating one gender as more important than the other, or creating a whole range of genders, or neutering humanity and removing gender altogether, these are all backward steps for societies to experiment with. I'll say it again, the equality and distinctives and synergy of the two genders are critical 
not only for human flourishing, but also that we would display and image the glory of the Lord. Number three, we see creativity. These two chapters reveal the effortless creativity and the life-giving intentionality of the Lord. They move us to bow down in worship and be amazed at his power and his wisdom and his generosity. What a privilege that the Lord invites us to join with him in his ongoing creative work. Verse 5 says, No plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. This verse continues to amaze and inspire me. Does it do the same for you? Consider this thought when you wake in the morning and look ahead at the blank slate of a day. The Lord is preparing to love people and to do good and to bless lives through you. This honours our daily work. It honours every waking hour of our day. It honours the time and patience and investment of building marriages and growing families and discipling the next generation. It honours all types of productive work, both paid and unpaid, teaching and farming and healthcare and building and engineering and volunteering and caring and listening and praying. The Lord does his life-giving work in us and through us as we partner with him and partner with one another. His pattern of work and rest is a model for us too. Sabbath rest is something we need to learn and to practice and not just on a weekly basis. A healthy life has rhythms, regular ones, of pausing and pondering and appreciating, of thanking and treasuring, of rejoicing and restoring. It's time to bring these things together. So let's finish with two final thoughts. A glimpse of the Lord Jesus and a rhythm for your day. The whole Bible speaks of Jesus. So where do we see him in these chapters? In Genesis 1, we see the Lord before all things and above all things creating the universe. In Genesis 2, the Lord comes near. It's as though he enters the world to be hands-on inside his creation, to be up close and personal. We see the Lord at work in chapter 2. As you heard the story, what posture do you see the Lord taking? Did you see him standing or walking or sitting? I'm not sure about you, but in verse 7, I see him kneeling, taking the dust of the ground, forming the man, and then breathing life 
into him. In verse 21 and 22, I see him kneeling again as he lays the man down to sleep, taking a rib from his side and forming the woman. This is the Lord entering creation in the posture of a servant. This is the ruler of all who had all power. And yet in Genesis 2, we see him kneeling to form the man and the woman and then raise them to life. It's no surprise then when we read later in John 13 of the Lord Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from the Lord and was returning to him. So he got up and took off his robe and began to wash his disciples' feet. The Lord Jesus knelt down, taking the dusty feet of his disciples and began to wash them clean. This was the servant king in action. God has one of us, embodying a profound parable that will be fulfilled the very next day when he would be led to the cross, taking on the dust and dirt and shame and guilt of people like you and I in order to wash our hearts clean as he shed his blood on the cross. But there's another glimpse of Jesus in Genesis 2. In verse 21, a wound is formed in Adam's side, and out of that wound, the Lord forms a woman. Do you see a connection with the crucifixion? On that Good Friday, the Lord Jesus, also known as the second Adam, he has a wound formed in his side, a spear plunged into his chest. The first Adam was given an anaesthetic, but the second one wasn't. He felt the full impact of humanity's sin. He was not spared any of the horror or the pain, and yet by his wounds, we are healed. Because of his death, we receive life. From his wounded side, the Lord has formed the bride of Christ, the church, the gathering of believers from every tribe and language throughout the centuries. All those who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus and been raised to life in him. What wonderful glimpses of the Lord Jesus are embedded in Genesis 2. The first Adam, made from dust, received the breath of life and became a living being. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus, lying dead in the tomb, received the breath of life from the Spirit of God and was resurrected, never to die again. The death and resurrection of Jesus is another origin story for the redeemed human race. It is the event that makes eternal life possible for all those who believe in him. So a rhythm for your day. 
I want to finish with a very practical application. An idea for how to wake up well. Think back to where you were about five hours ago. Many of us, I think, were warm and cosy in our beds. There is a moment each morning when every human being opens their eyes, slowly becoming aware of their surroundings, lying naked in their beds with morning breath and a bedhead. And then we slowly wake into a new day. Rich and poor, it's the same. Waking up is an incredible equaliser for humanity. This week, I want us to experiment with a simple daily rhythm. As you open your eyes, bring to mind your two origin stories. The one described in Genesis 2 and the one described in the last chapter of the Gospels. As you open your eyes, remember your dusty or bony beginnings in Genesis 2. Remember also that once you were lost, lying lifeless and dead in your sin. And then take a slow, deep, conscious breath. Fill your lungs with life-giving oxygen. And as you breathe in, ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit. Breathe like the first Adam who became a living being and then breathe in like the second Adam who inhaled resurrection life. After this first deep breath, take some time to thank the Lord for his wonderful gift of life. And then offer up this new day to him. Ask him to do his work in you and through you. He has placed you in a particular garden with others alongside. And he invites you to join him in bringing life to that garden, to work in it and to care for it and to embody his life in such a way that together with others you would image the Lord for many to be able to see. This is our purpose, to begin each day with the Lord and then join with him and live for his glory. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you as our creator. We thank you for this first origin story. We thank you that it is solid ground for us to build our lives on. We thank you for a gift of life, of living in this particular world. Thank you also for that second origin story when you brought the Lord Jesus back from the dead and you proclaimed that all those who believe in him will also be raised to eternal life and we get to taste that now. 
Thank you for revealing yourself through these stories to us today. Help us during the week to fix our eyes on you, to take time to draw near and to receive the life that we desperately need each day and each moment from you.